0: I'd love for you to go on a little thought experiment with me this morning. If you didn't know anything about what this religion taught about family, had never heard anything about it before, and then came to church this morning and heard these readings from the Bible, what conclusions do you think you might make about what the Bible has to say about family? Well, let's start with the Old Testament lesson in Genesis, the one that we just heard read. It's a story about a family, and it's a dramatic story. Abraham and his wife, Sarah, have conceived a child late in life, and that child's name is Isaac, and he is a great blessing to them. But before Isaac, Abraham had a child by his handmaiden, as it used to be called in the King James Version, concubine in modern English, Hagar. And over time, Sarah decided that Hagar and her son Ishmael should no longer be allowed in their household. And so she told Abraham to cast them out, which he did. Ruthlessly. He sent the woman and her little child out into the desert to fend for themselves. Hagar was so distraught that she left her baby son under a bush in the hopes that the bush itself might keep him cool enough to be able to survive there was no water until an angel of the lord appeared that's a pretty messed up family story isn't it now in today's terms we might call it violence against women and children and there's certainly an element that is very foreign to our contemporary understanding of what family is and the idea that there might be two women with one man living under a household, each of whom has a child by him. You don't see that ever so often. And yet, this is the picture of family offered to us in the very first book of the Bible. Well, if you flipped way forward into the Gospels and a couple hundred years in religious history, then you would come to this passage that we hear in the Gospel of Matthew today. And what does Jesus have to say about family? He says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. There's so much in this passage and it's incredibly dense. But again, I'm asking you to conduct this little thought experiment with me for a second about family. Christians follow Jesus Christ and we take what he says seriously. And what he says is that there's something about this religion that either will cause or at least acknowledge that families can be profoundly broken. A man and his father, a woman and her mother, daughters-in-law, mothers-in-law, the bonds between them will never be as strong as they are between us and God. And Jesus presupposes, tells, that the people reading these very words are probably going to have some issues in the community that they call their family at one point or another. It's right there in the Bible. Now again, my question to you was, if you didn't know anything about what Christianity said about families and read these two passages from the Bible, what would you think that it has to teach? Well, something that is completely absent from the passages that we hear, and pretty much anywhere in the entire Bible, is the notion of the heterosexual nuclear family, a mother and a father, both of whom are cisgender, raising children under one household. You see, for the vast majority of Christian history, that type of family simply was not the norm. When you think about the ways that people patterned their lives in the ancient world, All the way through the medieval times, then through the Renaissance, and even into the 18th century, this wasn't exactly how people lived in most of the world. Certainly not in Europe, and not in this country, and not in other places where people were Christians too. The church was very focused on creating communities that were like families, but oftentimes they were same-sex communities, monasteries full of monks or nuns who were segregated, and lived together as a family, but all of one gender. Healthcare being what it was, people died very early, and infant mortality rates were so much higher than they are today. You simply couldn't count on the idea that when you got married to a person of the opposite gender, that you were going to be able to rely on that person for decades to come. And so people formed familial relationships with people outside of the people under their roof. And oftentimes there were multiple generations or people who weren't related by blood living in the same household to support one another. Well, in the 19th century, all that about came to a change. Medical science improved and patterns of life changed. The idea of a one income household where the usually man went out and worked and supported a family became something that was more viable along with the rise of middle class in Europe and in the United States. And Christianity followed suit. It adopted this idea of what people call the nuclear family, not just as a social reality, but as a spiritual one, proclaiming that this indeed is what the Word of God says. Allow me to read to you uh, some of the doctrine from a very large Christian church, maybe the largest one in the U.S. I won't name what it says. But it says this about family. A family is a community of persons, of husband and wife, of parents and children and of relatives. That's what a family is. And here's a second teaching. The family is holy in as much as it is to cooperate with God by procreating children who are destined to be the adopted children of God and by instructing them for his kingdom. I find it very difficult to justify those teachings based on the texts that we have in the Bible that touch on family. And in my own life, same as the rest of you, I see how complicated families can be. And yet, I truly believe deep down in my heart that God is in all different types of relationships. Relationships that feel like family, even if they don't fit the mold that our society is telling us that they should. Now, if your family looks like a mother and a father with children, raising them much along the lines that this definition of family from this other church talks about it, then blessings What an amazing thing. But there's nothing about taking a wider view of what family looks like that detracts from anyone else's family. On this Pride Sunday, I think it's really important for us as Christians, as a church, to recognize, to acknowledge the way that this idea of a nuclear family is used to justify so much violence and hatred for so many people, because the fact of the matter is that not everyone's family looks exactly like that. Perhaps you're not married, or perhaps you're married to a person of the same gender. Perhaps you don't have children or never wanted them. Perhaps you live by yourself in a household of one, relying on a wider network of people who feel like family. Perhaps in opposition to this definition as it's laid out by this other Church, you are transgender or non-binary. All of this is sacred. All of these things have God written in them. This definition that I read actually has one phrase that I truly do resonate with. It says, a family is a community of persons. A family is a community of persons and I think that's true and I think that one of the great gifts that the LGBTQ community has to teach the rest of the world is how broadly and widely we can define a community of persons as a family. Oftentimes because queer people are so often rejected by their families that they grew up with we have to form our own family communities, which so often can be even more nourishing, even holier than the ones that we grew up in. I think that's a tremendous gift to a world that is suffering from isolation, from a lack of belonging, from people living in a feeling that they're not part of a community. The fact of the matter is that God creates families in all different types of forms and sizes. God blesses so many different types of relationships that we have with one another to make something that feels like a family, that actually can be even more supportive than that narrower definition of what a family is. And it's important to talk about this in a church, because that's exactly what we are, a community of persons, a family. So if the church is going to be authentic, if it is going to answer the call that Jesus gives us to form families that look different than the ones that maybe we have in our heads, then the church itself must take lessons from different communities, including the LGBTQ community, about what a family can look like. You probably know that this is an Episcopal church, and the Episcopal church is very proudly, fully affirming of all LGBT people, of our relationships, of our families, of our identities, of our lived realities. We see holiness and we see God in it. And on this Pride Sunday, please know that God loves you, no matter who you are or what your family looks like. And sometimes we've been accused of caving into society or trying to do something because it's a fad or fashionable. I've even heard people who left the Episcopal Church say that we're doing it just to make ourselves look good. But that's not the case at all. In our church, we believe that in order to actually live according to the precepts of the gospel in this time, it is essential for us to be fully affirming of all queer people. Take a look on this Pride 2023 at how so many rights are being rolled back. There are currently 491 bills in state legislatures that would limit the rights of LGBTQ people. Next week, the Supreme Court is expected to hand down a very important decision that was based on whether private businesses should have to serve LGBTQ people. This will probably serve as a landmark case that will determine the rights of LGBTQ people for decades to come. Why all this aggression? Why all this hatred? Why are people so motivated to take away the rights of someone who isn't like them? Well, I think that part of it goes to this narrow definition of what a family is. And people think that if families are allowed to look different than the way that theirs looks, that there's something that will be taken away from their own family. But you and I know that if Love exists in your family the way that it is. No one can take that away. And if my neighbor's family looks different from mine, then bless them. Even if we might not be able to share property together or get along about where the cars are parked and how to deal with the trees, I can still respect them. And there's nothing wrong with the way that their family will impact mine. So it's important in this time In this place, on this year's Pride, for the church to speak out to defend the rights of LGBTQ people and especially of trans people who are being singularly targeted for political gain. But it's even more important for us to live out our values, to understand that every single person who walks through the doors of that church should immediately feel the love of God, should immediately feel like they are a part of this holy family that gathers here week after week to worship. We need to continue to be sensitive to the needs of LGBTQ people, but also of people who might be struggling in their own journey with family, or perhaps who are nervous to bring the family the way that God has constituted it, that they live in, into this church. To my mind, that's the only way to be a Christian especially in this day and age. So friends, happy pride and many, many blessings to your family, no matter what your family looks like. God is blessing you with rich relationships that can feel like a family and, in fact, are. May that grace rest with you and with your family, now and always. Amen.